Hey, it's your host, Kate Leinbaugh. We're doing something a little different today. This is the first episode of a two-part story. It's about a biotech company called Ubiome. It had idealistic leaders, a promising idea, and a lot of venture capital funding. But eventually, the company had a spectacular downfall. It's quite a story, and to tell it, we brought in our colleague Amy Doxer-Marcus. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning health reporter, and for the past few years, she and her colleagues have reported on the rise and the fall of Ubiome. Amy will take it from here. As a reporter, I spend a lot of my time thinking about why healthcare doesn't work for so many people, why cures still seem out of reach for so many, how medicine seems to focus more on treating disease rather than preventing it. So back in 2014, I had taken an interest in this company called Ubiome. At the time, it was a small startup, but its founders, Jessica Richman and Zach Apti, had big ambitions. Their product was an at-home test kit, kind of like 23andMe, but this kit would test the makeup of your microbiome, the trillions of microbes that live in and on all of us. The bigger idea behind the company was all about something called citizen science, getting everyday people involved in data collection, understanding their own bodies, and taking control of their health. But one day a few years ago, this guy reached out to me, someone I had never met before, and he had questions about Ubiome's business practices. He thought the company might be committing fraud. I started looking into it, and in April 2019, A San Francisco-based health startup got raided by the feds today. The FBI agents showed up at Ubiome. They broke down the front door and asked employees to hand over their computers. This March, Ubiome's two leaders were charged with defrauding investors and insurers in a multi-million dollar scheme. And the government says they're fugitives. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Amy Doxer-Marcus. It's Friday, November 5th. Coming up on the show, What Went Wrong at Ubiome, Part 1. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. The story starts as many Silicon Valley stories do, with a TED Talk. Thank you so much for letting me speak here. This is really amazing. That's Jessica Richman. At the time, she was a newly minted Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Her company was Ubiome. The startup was predicated on people sending in their poop. Basically, you send us your poop. (laughs) Yeah, your poop. We want all of your poop. That's because microorganisms in the intestine end up there. So a poop sample was a messy, but relatively simple way to get a read of the microbiome. We may have heard about the human microbiome. Uh, The microbiome is an ecosystem of organisms that live on and inside of us. They're kind of our microbial overlords. 
And it was a good time to start a company that focused on the microbiome. Once largely unexplored, the microbiome was getting more attention from scientists. Some of the new research suggested those tiny microbes and cells might have major health implications. Jessica was capitalizing on that moment. So we are using this data about the microbiome to ask and answer questions about health and start to solve complex diseases like autism, which seems to have a connection to the microbiome, chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, autoimmune disorders depend on the microbiome. Jessica gave this speech in 2013, the year before she had started Ubiome with her co-founder, Zach Apti. There was a third co-founder, but he left the company less than a year after it launched. We should say, we reached out to Jessica and Zach multiple times through their lawyers for interviews and for comment, but we never heard back. But through our reporting, based on documents and interviews, we've been able to put together a picture of who Jessica and Zach were. Zach had a PhD in biophysics and cell biology from the University of California, San Francisco. And Jessica did at least part of a doctorate at the business school at Oxford. Neither had a medical degree. They were charismatic and a bit nerdy. Generally speaking, Jessica was the public face of the company and Zach worked more behind the scenes. And they spoke passionately about Ubiome's larger goals, bringing microbiome research to everyone who wanted it. So they ran a crowdfunding campaign. It was an unusual move for a biotech company, but it ended up working. Jessica was even featured on an NPR segment about crowdfunding and science. Ubiome is all about understanding the human microbiome, the collection of microbes in your body. Going in, Richmond said she and her colleagues had no idea whether their pitch would be successful. There's a lot of uncertainty. You sort of don't know if you're going to raise $10 or a million dollars, and you sort of have to be prepared or keep your mind open for any of those things to happen. Turns out they hit it big, one of the few to raise more than a quarter of a million bucks from their Internet campaign. It seems likely they caught a recent wave of interest in what's living in our guts. And people... After this successful campaign, Ubiome sent out kits to people who had contributed. The kits included a small cotton swab. If you wanted a test of your gut microbiome, you would swab it on some recently used toilet paper, stick it in a tube, and then mail it in. Jessica and Zach needed to hire someone to help turn around the results, someone who could build up a new lab. So I was in San Francisco looking for work. That's Gabe Foster. He had a background in biochemistry. And my brother's now ex-wife heard of a launch event for a startup company who just raised some money. He asked if I wanted to go along, and I did. And it was Ubiome's launch party. And it was in a classroom at UCSF. There was pizza and soda and a few beers. And a few weeks later, I was bombing around the internet looking for work. And an ad on Craigslist sounded a lot like the people I had just talked to. And so I shot him a note saying, I know you guys. Let's talk. Jessica and Zach ended up hiring Gabe. My job at Ubiome was to build the lab. We had promised several thousand samples to be returned to customers in a pretty tight time frame, and somebody had to actually run them. And so what was the work environment like? Uh, so there was a, a common room with a couch in it, and there were several rooms with uh, lab equipment and a couple cheap robots that we bought on eBay to slap together. I mean, it really was just a bunch of young people hanging around. I mean, getting things done, but it was not formal <laughs> at all. So what were your early impressions of Zach and Jessica? Zach? Zach is an interesting 
man. When you first meet Zach, he screams Berkeley. He is very informal. He likes to talk about feelings a lot. He hugs. He's sort of large and soft and smiles a lot and tries really hard to engage with people. And that all makes it really easy to start working with Zach. But it becomes apparent pretty quickly that Zach walks into every single room assuming he can do everyone's job in that room better than they can. He really has this sense of cleverness where he thinks he's just absolutely so clever he can get away with anything. Jessica wanted nothing more in this world than to be considered a successful entrepreneur. That's what she wanted. She said as much. And Ubiome was her most promising vehicle to be that. Jessica and Zach were trying to make it big as a Silicon Valley startup. And based on what Gabe saw, they were succeeding. They had just raised a hot mess of money. And so spirits were pretty high. And I thought the core idea of the company at the time was incredibly sound and made a lot of sense. I mean, they build themselves as the 23 and me of poop. The 23 and me of poop. Did they actually use that phrase or is that your phrase? Uh, they used that phrase more than once. And it's, it was dead on. That's exactly what we were trying to be at the time. And what does that mean? Well, when we think 23 and me, right, it's, a, it's an informative, entertaining product. 23andMe is best known for genetic testing that tells people about their ancestry and their potential risk for certain health conditions. The information isn't intended to diagnose diseases or be used to make medical decisions without the guidance of a doctor. Ubiome's test also wasn't intended for medical decisions. It was called Explorer, and it was meant to do just that, help you explore what was living in your gut. They also tested areas of your body like your mouth or skin. The Explorer reports were easy to read. Customers were encouraged to, quote, know your bacteria and told whether or not their bacteria skewed in favor of a type correlated with weight loss. They also received a microbiome diversity score plotted on a bar graph, along with how it compared with other people's scores. The report said that greater microbiome diversity had been connected to good health. In terms of practical advice, it offered suggestions that might improve someone's diversity score such as regular exercise and eating more fiber. The technology itself is like really easy. It's not hard to do. But then you have to tell me what that means, right? And that's the challenge. Now your microbiome is hundreds of thousands and millions of different species in different proportions. And they're all interacting with their host. And it's changing all the time based on what you eat and what you do and when you sleep And even more than that, it's different all throughout your digestive system. And so trying to understand the impact of something that's that hard to measure and that complicated is, uh, it's daunting. It's, It's incomprehensible how complex it is. Jessica had claimed that understanding the microbiome might hold the key to understanding our health and diseases like autism and depression, but the science wasn't close to conclusive. The complexity of the microbiome means we don't really know exactly what someone's results mean. That's why Ubiome's test was more for people's curiosity. In fact, Gabe felt pretty strongly that microbiome testing should not be used to make medical decisions. In my professional opinion, there is no clinical application for a test like that that I can think of, none. I don't know 
what on earth you could tell someone from their proportion of bacteria with what we know about the microbiome that's clinically relevant. I mean, it's fishing, right? It's fine if you're fishing an entertainment product, but clinical diagnostic products are not fishing. So when you had your early conversations among yourselves about the test, did you all discuss this lack of clinical utility? I mean, it was obvious. There's nothing you can say right now about the microbiome that's of like deep clinical utility. It's a fascinating place as a scientist, right? It's a new frontier of research and it's a wild place and the complexities of analysis are really fun. But that does mean that we don't know enough to give people solid clinical answers on this stuff for the most part yet. And by the way, this is a distinction with a difference because clinical tests can often be covered by health insurance, like a test for cholesterol, strep throat, STDs. And that kind of coverage generally requires companies to jump through some regulatory hoops. In fact, in the early days, we used to laugh about how we'd never do that. Stay the heck away from clinical work. It's too regulated. To do clinical work well and to do it legally is an incredibly expensive, tedious thing to do. To start up a lab and file all the paperwork and get regulated is just a hassle. And when you have something that just isn't clinically relevant yet, why bother? That was my thinking. That was our thinking early. There's just to actually bill insurance companies for something. It's just such a hassle of regulations that you better have a nice, simple product with an answer that you provide to a doctor. Even though microbiome science is still evolving, there were a lot of people interested in Ubiome's test especially in Silicon Valley in the early 2010s. This was a time when people were quantifying every part of their bodies. The movement went by a few names, citizen science, quantified self, but the idea was roughly the same. Everyday people should have the tools to make insights about their bodies without involving the medical establishment. And people should be able to own, analyze, and share that data. The people who were the most excited early on, our earliest adopters, were all of the the quantified health people in the Bay Area. There's a fairly substantial community of people that really tries to boil down everything they do and everything they can into measurements and try to optimize themselves, optimize what they eat and when they exercise and everything, everything. They'll measure their blood pressure. They'll get blood tests as often as they can. Everything you can imagine, they try to measure. And they were so excited because there was yet another thing they could measure about themselves. Ubiome also raised a lot of money off this excitement. They graduated from the humble world of crowdfunding to the world of venture capital. In 2014, Jessica and Zach raised around $5 million from some of Silicon Valley's most prominent investors. They would later go on to raise a total of around $81 million. So Ubiome did have its fans, but it also had its critics. Jonathan Eisen considered himself a little bit of both. I'm a professor at UC Davis, and I'm a microbiologist, and I study the evolution and ecology of microbes. Jonathan Eisen is one of the most influential microbiologists in the country. He has a TED Talk and over 60,000 followers on Twitter, which is a lot for a scientist. He also has a popular microbiology blog, where he gives out the, quote, overselling the microbiome award. I do believe that microbes and the microbiome are really important for the health of various plants and animals, including humans. 
But I also spend a lot of time critiquing people for overselling the benefits of the microbiome, where people say that, you know, microbiomes are going to save the world. And, you know, in reality, we're not there yet. Back in 2013, Jonathan attended a conference called Science Online. During a discussion about ethics and citizen science, Ubiome came up. Some in the audience were uncomfortable that Ubiome didn't initially get something called an IRB to approve their work. An IRB, or Institutional Review Board, is an independent group that ensures people that are the subjects in scientific research are treated ethically. And what Ubiome was doing sounded a lot like research on human subjects. IRBs are an essential part of modern science. Government agencies usually won't even fund studies without them. So they were asking a lot of questions about people, about their health history, about their diet, about other parts of their biology. And then they would get information about, in theory, about what microbes were present. And you can imagine in many cases you could say it might be fun, but what if you found in someone's sample that they were overrun with chlamydia? There are things that you can find out when you do those types of diagnostic tests that you generally should be operating under a more careful review process. I think there was a medical ethicist there, and there were a few other people who were like, this doesn't make any sense. How could you possibly be collecting personal information about people, sharing it with them, and not have an IRB? Something seemed off. There was some people at the conference who I talked to after the talk, and I was like, yeah, someone needs to convince them that IRBs are actually really important and they need to take them seriously. Ubiome did eventually get approval of their research protocol from an independent IRB company. But that didn't stop Jessica and Zach from offering a critique. In a blog post on Scientific American, they wrote that IRBs are structured for, quote, the old world of scientific inquiry, not for citizen scientists who are studying themselves. How did you go from that meeting to joining the Scientific Advisory Board? What happened was basically they came to me and said, look, we accept your criticism. We would like help. We would like to do things better. And in particular, in my conversations with them, this was about the overselling of the microbiome. And they said, look, we know you're obsessed with this, um, not having people oversell the microbiome. And we'd really like to do things better. And would you be willing to give us advice and join our scientific advisory board? I think I said, okay, if you're asking for advice, I'm going to step up and be willing to do it. In fact, two of my colleagues said, someone has to do this. We need them to hear this information. And in 2013, Jonathan joined Ubiome's scientific advisory board. He got paid in stock options. The board eventually grew to more than a dozen members and included some notable names, such as Harvard University's George Church. In his role, Jonathan agreed to help vet the company's communications, like press releases and blog posts, to make sure they were scientifically accurate. But he says he wasn't vetting the science itself. And while he may have felt that he was doing it for the good of microbiology, it ended up being good for Ubiome's marketing too. Jessica and Zach put Jonathan's name on many of Ubiome's press releases and marketing materials. Later, Jonathan would appear on one of the most popular podcasts in the world. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to The Tim Ferriss Show. Right alongside Jessica. 
on this particular episode. We have Jessica Richman, who is co-founder and CEO of Ubiome. And then you have Jonathan Eisen, who is a full professor at the University of California, Davis. Jessica and Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thank Glad you. to be here. Really yeah. honored to be here. Back at Ubiome, Gabe was running the lab, but he was feeling uncertain about the company's direction. And in 2014, his job took a turn for the worse. So I, I know when things really got weird. So when I had finished running the initial set of samples, when we got some of our early sequencing data back, the pipeline worked. I could take stool samples and turn them into a sequencing library to go out for sequencing. And I asked Zach, like, okay, what are we going to do for controls? Like, how do we know this is even working? This was still in Ubiome's early phase. What Gabe was looking for were controls, baseline samples that he could compare his results to. Controls are critical for researchers who want to make sure their results aren't out of whack. But Gabe says that at the time, there were not great controls available for the microbiome, so he was having a hard time telling if his results made any sense. And so I was asking about this, and Zach straight up said, you know, the customers aren't going to know what this means anyway, so who cares what we give them? And <laughs> to me, <laughs> that was uh, mind-blowing. And so I pushed about standardization a lot, and he said, fine, you go do it. Go, go figure it out. Well, at the time, I did not have the experience or qualifications to go figure out. I certainly tried, but I, didn't, I just didn't know what the heck I was doing to go from the lab to digging into the computational work and the data, and he never made that easy to get. So uh, that's when things started to get really frustrating. And that's, I, I disagreed pretty strongly with Zach there. And Zach really did not like being disagreed with. Disagreeing with Zach was not easy and uh, rarely ended well. And it didn't end well for Gabe. He got fired in 2014. And by the way, Ubiome did eventually add controls. This story was one of the things we asked Zach's lawyers about. We didn't get a response. So how'd you leave the company then? They waited until right after I came back from my wedding. And we sat down on a Friday afternoon and they said, it's time to end this contracting agreement. We're out. And asked me to sign a bunch of paperwork. And I said no. And that was the end of it. Were you given any explanation on why the contract was coming to an end? Oh, this just isn't working out. Did you have a theory on what wasn't working out? Yeah, I feel like I disagreed with Zach one too many times. I didn't have the same goals in mind anymore for the company. They were really trying to get big and get big fast. They were really trying to grow. And in my mind, again, the 23andMe model was to slow burn and run as lean as possible for as long as possible. But if your goal was to be a successful entrepreneur and sell out, that's not, that doesn't fit your model, does it? And if you've raised a bunch of VC money and they aggressively want to see some more money back out of this in a short amount of time, that also doesn't fit that model. Investors had already put millions into Ubiome, but Jessica and Zach wanted to grow and raise even more money. So they tried something new. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by AARP. They have reskilling courses and career tools to help your income live as long as you do. The younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash skills. Ubiome's first test, Explore, cost $89. It was a relatively affordable price that the company hoped would pull in consumers. But Ubiome could charge a lot more for a product that insurers would reimburse. So it created a second test, called SmartGut. Unlike Explore, SmartGut was meant to be a clinical test, the kind that Ubiome had initially stayed away from. Ubiome's website called it a doctor-ordered gut health test, and said the test could provide actionable information, quote, to help you and your doctor manage gut conditions. Some of those conditions included irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease, also obesity and diabetes. The press release announcing Smart Gut contained another detail. The test would be covered by U.S. health insurance for the majority of patients. Here's Jessica giving a lecture at Harvard Medical School. We still have our consumer and research product, which is now called Explorer. That was the original product that we launched with. And we now have this clinical test, which is truly a medical product. Here is a real medical test that real doctors prescribe and is processed in a real clinical lab, reimbursed by real insurance companies. This insurance detail was important because SmartGut was expensive. Ubiome billed up to $3,000 per test. And while that would have been a steep price for most consumers, it's less so for health insurers. If Ubiome could sell a lot of these more expensive smart gut tests, its profits could skyrocket. Ubiome would also go on to sell another clinical test. It was called Smart Jane, and it wasn't for the gut microbiome. Instead, it sequenced the vaginal microbiome to test for sexually transmitted diseases like chlamydia or HPV. The type of lab tests Ubiome sold don't require FDA review if they are created and used in the same lab and that lab is certified under a government program. Ubiome said Smart Gut and Smart Jane both fell into that category. Some scientists were uncomfortable with Ubiome's pivot to clinical tests. One of them was Jonathan Eisen, that microbiologist who was on the company's scientific advisory board. I mean, in the end, from everything I've seen, they could get microbiome results. But that doesn't mean that those microbiome results are medically informative or personally informative. It just, it could have been simply a let's learn about your microbiome space. And that would have been less problematic than when they jumped into actual clinical diagnostics and claiming that there was medical relevance for what they were doing. That, I think, is the the absolute key, is to transition from let's just help people discover patterns in the microbiome, which seems very interesting, that's what they were saying at the beginning, to we're going to actually tell you whether or not you're going to get sick or what to eat or whatever. And they just didn't have evidence. As far as I can tell, they had no evidence that they could do that for people. Did you go to Zach and Jessica personally and tell them you were leaving? And what did you say your reasons were for leaving when you did inform them? Yeah, I mean, so when I first stepped down from the scientific advisory board, I just wanted out and I didn't want to even discuss it. So I just wrote to them and I said, I just have other, you know, I have conflicts, I have other things I want to do, I want to move on. 
And I didn't even want to deal with the discussion. But after Jonathan resigned in 2016, Ubiome kept his name on their materials, and he was still listed on the company's website. When they didn't remove my name from the scientific advisory board, I had a phone conversation with them where I said, you know, look, I was being polite there. I don't want to be listed as an advisor because I don't think you're doing things correctly. And I, I'm not going to make a big public stink about it because, you know, some of this is private information that I, you know, said I wasn't going to disclose. But like, you need to remove my name from these things because... I do not endorse what you're doing. In fact, I anti-endorse what you are doing. And they said, oh, yeah, 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 it's just we're slow about fixing those things. But nothing changed for a year. Finally, Jonathan took to Twitter to express his frustration and say he was not on Ubiome's scientific advisory board, despite what the website said. Later that day, Zach responded to the tweet apologizing saying Ubiome failed to update the website and they'll fix it now. He also added, amazing scientist, contributed a ton to Ubiome. We miss you. Again, we asked Jessica and Zach's lawyers about this story. They didn't respond. Some scientists who worked inside the company were also having reservations about what Ubiome said its tests could do, like Elizabeth Beck. I really think that the technical part of the Kits, all kits that we were selling was really good. We really had a product. We had a good product. But uh, yeah, the interpretation of it was the issue. Elizabeth was initially hired to write scientific papers for Ubiome. But eventually she was asked to work on Smart Jane, the test for the vaginal microbiome. I did realize after a while that developing a gut microbiome test to analyze clinical disease is, um, is, is going to be super complicated and there's not enough data yet to do that. But I felt that the, the vaginal microbiome would be a much better idea for clinical tests because the vaginal microbiome is a little bit more simple than the gut microbiome. It has fewer bacteria, something that is not really analyzed in uh, regular medicine. And a lot of women struggle with problems with the vaginal flora. And so I thought that was going to be a much more valuable contribution to medical research than the gut microbiome at that time. Elizabeth believes SmartChain had real potential, but generally speaking, she didn't agree with how company leadership talked about the clinical tests. The company was overselling a lot of the, the products. The leadership had a term called precision sequencing. They said, we do precision sequencing and our test is so much better than that of competitors because we do precision sequencing. And whenever I was like the scientist and I'm like, can you explain to me what precision sequencing exactly is? And I got, got a very vague answer. I'm like, well, that's not very scientific. And they asked me to write a blog post about precision sequencing. And I didn't even know what it was, but I just started laughing whenever I heard that term. Internally, we're all like, what is precision sequencing? We don't even know it. And we work in the lab. We're the scientists. And it was sort of a, an inside joke that even we didn't know what it was. Only Jessica and Zach knew what it was. Elizabeth wasn't the only employee who felt that things didn't quite add up at Ubiome. Another was Richard Sprague. Richard is an engineer by training, and he's big in the quantified self-community, people who like to obsessively track their health data. Over time, he took more than 600 Ubiome tests. 
Richard had been writing blog posts about his self-experiments, like the time he did a gut cleanse and tracked changes in his microbiome. The company took notice and created a new position for him, citizen scientist in residence. He thought that meant he could have access to Ubiome's huge database and do some more studies, but there was a problem. One of the very first things I wanted to do, of course, was to have access to that database. And so, of course, like I was saying, like, now that I'm an employee, can you please let me have access to this database? But Zach was very reluctant to let me have any access. So despite the fact that I was hired and I was inside the company there, my job title was citizen scientist in residence. I was supposed to be there to get access to all this cool data and maybe come up with interesting reports and find interesting discoveries involved their customers in this whole process. But unfortunately, I didn't, didn't really get to do that. Well, what was the culture then? Well, um, the culture was very secretive. And it was just kind of disappointing to me. Because I had thought that a a place like this would, you know, especially since they talked the talk about citizen science and Jessica, you know, was regularly giving, you know, presentations and speeches about the wonderful, amazing things that happen when you involve normal people in research. And yet asking for uh, like information about like what kind of new products are we thinking about building or who are some of our bigger potential customers or what kind of questions are we getting from uh, from customers nobody wanted to tell me and I discovered that was a that was a general trend <laughs> within the company that it was there was a lot of this um, you felt like you weren't really allowed to ask questions Richard also couldn't figure out how the company was making money he noticed that patients weren't being asked to pay for SmartGut as long as they provided their insurance information. They weren't quote-unquote paying for it. Um, somebody was paying for it. So in order to be able to get the quote-unquote free SmartGut, you had to give them your insurance information. Now, most of us don't think twice about giving out your insurance information because it seems like anything that's paid for by insurance is, you know, seems like it's free. And the Ubiome documentation wasn't clear. But the one thing that was very clear, at least at the beginning, was that this won't cost you a thing. And did any of this raise any red flags for you at the time? Well, it raised a lot of flags for for me, just because I had been with the company long enough that I could see that we didn't have the infrastructure to be able to handle this sort of thing. And so my first, you know, my first thought on all these things is how are we going to be able to ensure that these people who are giving their insurance information, you know, it's accurate, it's going to be you know, something that will be reimbursable by an insurance company, et cetera. And again, then the, now it comes down to the secrecy thing. I would ask people who might know, and I wouldn't get satisfying answers. And I would be told that, you know, that's not your problem. Shut up, you know, go worry about your own stuff. Don't ask us these questions. So Richard continued doing his own work at Ubiome, writing blog posts, talking to customers. But outside his own domain, he couldn't really tell what was going on at the company. It's always tough to tell the difference between incompetence and, um, and deception. And especially at a startup, and especially at a fast-growing startup, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference. I mean, frankly, an awful lot of companies are walking that fine line between very healthy optimism about what's going on and how likely it is to get things done and you know, maybe some deception to try to convince investors and customers that things are going better than they are. Ubiome really walked that line. And for a lot of us, it was just hard to tell, you know, whether we had crossed that line or not. 
in part two of our series, out next Friday. My experience with both Zach and Jessica is this win at all costs. And I was angry when I started to realize that this house was made of cards. We find loopholes, we cut corners, just ruthless greed, ruthless entitlement even. My colleague calls me and literally whispering over the phone, don't come in. I'm like, what do you mean don't come in? She's like, the FBI is here. I'm like, are you serious? That's all for today, Friday, November 5th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Limebaugh. Special thanks to Amy Doxer Marcus for hosting today's episode and to Anna Wildy Matthews for her reporting. This episode was produced by Ricky Nevetsky with help from Willa Rubin. It was edited by Katherine Brewer, Blythe Terrell, and Annie Rose Strasser with help from Stephanie Ilgenfritz, David Freeman, and Rob Rossi. The show's produced by Annie Baxter, Pia Godkari, Rachel Humphreys, Gerard Cole, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, and Kayla Stokes. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Today's version was remixed by Nathan Singapak. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, Blue Dot Sessions, and So Wiley. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.